I'm Jenny McIntosh, and we're going to talk about gender a bit in connection with playing parts, mostly in Shakespeare, but perhaps not exclusively, who knows. <laughs> from the left, Samuel Barnett, who will be familiar to you from many performances here and elsewhere. Next along, Dame Harriet Walter, also very familiar to you from performances here and elsewhere. And here is Simon Godwin. Now, Simon has come to join us at the very, very last minute, because originally we were expecting Maria Aberg, uh, director, uh, who again um, has directed many shows with which many of you will be familiar, but she is unable to be here because her son is ill. And Simon has very bravely stepped in at the last minute. But Simon, of course, has the, the best possible reason to be on this stage having this discussion, because he directed the production of Twelfth Night which will be coming on later and is an uh, extremely important part of the discussion we want to have. Now, on that subject, I'm going to kind of get a, try and get a look at you. How many of you have already seen Twelfth Night? Wow, lots of you. And how many of you are intending to see it? Right, so that's basically everybody either has or is going to. So uh, those of you who have will know that there are some... Um, interesting choices that have been made in that production. And I wanted to start the conversation by just saying, in respect of particularly um, the issue of women playing men's parts, which is probably the slightly more contentious part of gender swapping at the moment. Not sure why, but it is. Um, that There is a difference, isn't there, between if you are a woman playing a part that was written for a man but playing it as a woman and playing a part that was written for a man but playing it as a man. And Harriet, you've just done three big Shakespeare plays in which you were in fact playing a man. But with a twist, because you had interposed a woman between yourself and the man. Would you like to explain that to yeah, us? I, um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we, this, this Phyllida Lloyd is the director of th this project, and um, when we first spoke about doing an all-female um, uh, Shakespeare play, we weren't going to do three, we were doing one, um, we had the choice, one of the choices that came up was Twelfth Night, um, another thought that came into our head was Julius Caesar, and I can't remember what the third one was, but we opted for Julius Caesar precisely because it was a play that women have very little part in, uh, in terms of women characters, and it's territory that is ripe for exploration by female players, whereas Twelfth Night is already a play that explores gender and plays with gender. Um, it would have been, in a way, less of a jump, less of an experiment, less of an adventure. Um, and the first question we got asked was, are you going to be Julia Caesar and Brutar and, you know, Mark, I don't know, Marion Anthony or something, <laughs> I don't know. And we said, no, we're pl we are being men. But the way round it that sort of relieved the audience of the pressure of having to work it out was that we set them in female prisons. And therefore, we were female prisoners who wanted to put these plays on about topics that were very relevant to their lives because they live very much more on the edge of violence and competition and crime and danger than, than your average actress. Um, 
and so that so that we had a stepping stone because we were playing we 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 had a backstory of a character we were playing so when i was in the wings i was i was getting into the head of my female prisoner character who was about to play brutus um and that sort of gave me a stepping stone mm. Simon, I want to come to you about the choice you made in Twelfth Night, which was the, the other choice to have the female characters, the male characters played by, turned into women, as it were. But Sam, first, the, the, the parts that you've played where you've played a woman were parts where originally it would have been a man playing them because they were all uh, written by Shakespeare for boy players. But when you came to play them, and particularly Viola, how, what, what was the journey for you? Did you, did you remain um, a boy? In other words, did you, were you playing at any point with the idea that the audience knew you were a boy, or did you step right into the world of Viola, the girl? I sort of need to answer that by t talking about the other role, in a way, yeah. um, playing Queen Elizabeth in Richard III, because... I found that easier to approach because I didn't approach it as a female queen. I just approached it that she's a monarch. So I was able to kind of play with status and then there's a costume which gives you the silhouette and that did a lot of the work for me. And, and I had this hoop skirt which literally made my steps shorter than I would stride out as a man. So it did a lot of work for me. But approaching Viola... Um, it was a bit complex, a guy playing a girl who then disguised herself as a boy. And, um, do you know, I didn't, I really didn't want to approach it in that sort of what do women do way. I, I mean, what does that mean? So I went for um, what does she want, what does she need, who is she, what's her backstory, what's her emotional life. And actually, with, I found with both characters what was really thrilling in the end was um, having a, oh God, what I felt was a greater emotional freedom playing women than I found in m most of the men that I've played. That's what I really enjoyed doing, and that's what I, what I accessed. I really didn't want to, you know, there was such a danger of being camp, trying to pretend to be a woman, or, but it, but it definitely opened up a, a side of me in terms of acting, because I have a, <laughs> I have a strong, I think I have a strong feminine side as a person. Uh, you know, I, I don't, gender f seems very fluid to me, um, and it was a thrill to be able to kind of put that into acting, which I've not been able to do before, mm -hmm. and it's liberated me since with characters, with their, whether they're male or female. We might come back with the two of you, the performers, to the issue of, of you know, what you're allowed to be, um, and what, what is freed by being able to play not, not the gender that you've been assigned, as it were. But um, you touched on something there, Sam, about playing status as opposed to character or gender, indeed. And um, I, I wondered um, about this in relation to the people, most recently Glenda Jackson, who have played kings as opposed to... Uh, people, as it were, um, um, and Simon, you know, w w did, I wondered, did, did any of you see Glenda play play King yeah, Lear? I'm afraid yeah. to say I didn't, but I do remember when Fiona Shaw played Richard II. Here, it was the same thing that you didn't necessarily want to ask the question whether this person is male or female. 
it was, a, it was um, about the character. Does that make sense to you as performers? Totally, yes. 100%. Um, I found quite a development in the trilogy from playing Brutus, who's leading an army, Henry IV, who's leading a country, and suddenly I was playing Prospero, who can make up the rules. And we hadn't worked out what my costume would be, we hadn't figured anything out. And on the sort of third day of the tech, I was sitting around in my T-shirt, um, and Phyllida said, that's what you are, you just look like that, you look like you. And it was the most liberating thing, it's probably the most liberating part I've ever played. Um, I mean, they are, you know, Shakespeare, you know, it's in there, in The Tempest, he is a patriarch, he does want to restore his dukedom and go back and run, you know, rule the country and get his daughter married off to the King of Naples, <laughs> you know, so there is a sort of old hierarchy restored, but it's fairly flimsy and it only happens at the end, so within the bounds of the play, uh, you're, you're your own, you, could, you can just completely make it up as you go along. And I did feel incredibly gender fluid in that role, because although, um, in a funny way, um, the, the, the two leaders, met, the two sort of realm men that I'd played had got, uh, were in some ways imprisoned. I mean, we were sort of very much looking at imprisonment, and, but, but they were sort of imprisoned in their, gender, in their role, in their leadership role. Um, and, and Brutus was not allowed to show his emotions when his wife died. And, and you suddenly started to understand um, you started to feel a sympathy for the overdog, as I put it. Um, uh, yeah. Whereas with, with Prospero, you were, so, you, 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 know, you were sort of, I just thought, I am, just as you were saying, I, I am a father, I'm, I'm not a father or a mother, I'm a parent. Um, I, I'm, I'm, my main drive is I'm an old person, I'm facing the end of my life, I'm letting my child go, I'm... Uh, trying to forgive the people who are, you know, I want to make peace with the world. Universal, yeah. absolutely ungendered topic, and I felt completely liberated by that. So, Simon, when you come to Twelfth Night, Twelfth Night is a very different play from any of the ones that Harriet's recently done, or indeed um, uh, Richard III, but uh, it is the same play that Sam <laughs> performed in. Um, it, it, it's, a, it's a domestic world, and it's um, uh, a world of, 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 of character. W what were the choices that you made that led you to take the casting decisions that you took? Did it start with the actor? Did it start with something about the play? Well, I mean, I think um, Harriet was talking about creating the right, and Sam in a way as well, about finding the right context, uh, which I think as the director, it's partly your job to find uh, the rules of the game which ultimately liberate your players to forget the rules and yet you need them to begin with. So initially, um, of course, there are three characters in Twelfth Night who we've turned uh, the gender mm -hmm. around. There's um, Malvolio, who's Malvolia. Uh, there's Feste, who actually remains Feste, and then there's Fabian, who has become Fabia. But yes, it did begin with a conversation that I had with Tamsin, and it was a recognition that uh, there was a paucity of classical roles for women, and we were thinking, afresh about the canon and trying to bring an open eyes to everything. And we started the process by doing a reading of Twelfth Night. It was, in fact, just Tamsin and I, and we just read the script, imagining that she would be Malvolio. And what we both noticed was, uh, what really uh, emerged, was how often people are going, sir, uh, he, um, how male the language was. 
And actually, at that stage, it felt a little bit forced, but simply because I didn't know the rules. So Tamara said, well, am I a woman that people think is a man, but actually am a woman? What's, the, what's, our, what's our unifying idea? So at that point, we both felt, well, maybe this isn't going to work. And then we thought, well, let's give it another try, but let's just go through the script before we do a reading again, changing all of those words from he to she, from gentleman to madam, from Manvolio to Manvolio ah. And in that particular game, in that particular context, suddenly it felt liberating, and it felt very clear that, yes, this was a female character, this was a female character that happened to be in love with her female boss, and that was something we could enjoy. And um, in this version, uh, those of you who have seen it, um, Malvolia doesn't wear a suit, she wears a dress, and she's fully uh, a woman. And yet, of course, I agree entirely with Harry and Sam that it's a different route, but it's the same destination, which is to go to the universal, to the way, to that moment, and it happened for us in rehearsals by week two, where, yes, it was very exciting and celebratory to say, she's a woman, like all our regendered characters are, women, and yet gender does indeed dissolve. And they become a steward, someone in love, uh, a clown, and you leave these things behind. And yet, there's another strange uh, uh, niche or, or paradox or question that came to me as we were speaking, which is how, how both to uh, transcend something and yet at the simultaneously respect it. Mm. And I'm just thinking of a comparable experience I had last year when I directed Hamlet for the Royal Shakespeare Company. And I made a decision with the actor playing Hamlet, who was British but had Ghanaian roots. And we thought, well, it's possible to do an entirely colorblind production of this play, but it's also possible to celebrate, in this case, Papa's Ghanaian heritage, and not in a way to go, oh, you're, you're, you're not that, but to say, well, yes, you, you can also be that. So in that case, we, we set the play in West Africa and made a very strong gesture towards that. So I think for us, it's so delicate between going, gender doesn't matter, but it does. And where does that crossover feel richest yes and most perhaps the word blind is 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 a bit of a trap i mm. think people don't like thinking of things as gender blind or race blind you know they're there but then th what we're doing is pushing the edges of that description yeah it it i i was wondering um when you were talking there simon about the liberation that comes also with not feeling that you have to set the plays in at any distance from now and actually thinking about you sam doing 12th night at the globe yeah. where there are certain <laughs> conventions i mean they've been challenged a little bit let's not go there now um, <laughs> but uh, they they there is a, a, a a very acute awareness of a performance tradition mm. there, which presumably m means that s you talked about the costume doing a lot of the work for mm. you, but did, did that in any way either open up or restrict any choices that you could make as Viola, for example? It, it, um, it opened it up for me, actually, because I had a structure within which to work, so that was liberating. Um, but also it was, I mean, we did the whole original practices thing with Twelfth Night and Richard III. Um, and we had a particular way of working with the language, which I just loved, because to be honest, I had never understood Shakespeare before I worked with Tim Carroll, the director, and he, he just 
totally unlocked it for me and made me think, oh, great, how many other plays are there that I can now understand and, and be part of? So that was fantastic. Um, but he did that within what he felt would have been a more sort of original practices way of working with the language. But we were slightly making it up because we didn't really know, really. It's a lot of guesswork. But what was important to me was to have a structure. Th there was something, I mean, there was something about stepping out on that stage and feeling, in a good way, the weight of tradition history that has happened there at the South Bank in that spot. Um, but uh, I didn't want to be weighed down by it. So, uh, in a way, it was what Simon was saying, that you have all these rules and structures and things that, so that you can then forget them. Mm. It just it helps the process. But I don't think the end result can be the process particularly. Mm. But do you think it would have been possible, Harriet, for you to play Brutus other than in an environment or a setting which, which was quite clearly of now? Mm. I mean, it might have been a stage of evolution where we needed to do that to adjust the audience's mind. Um, I mean, there's been a huge leap from when we did the first show, 2012, and we met quite a lot of resistance until people saw it, you know, and then felt, gosh, I, I got it. Um, but there was still a lot of resistance, quite a lot of resistance in the media. To, and the difference doing it last mm. autumn, where people just were going, yeah, what's the problem? You know, what are you doing next? Um, so perhaps we have reached the stage where we could lose that scaffolding, although the thing is, it wasn't just scaffolding, it became so much more, it became a metaphor for mm. all, because it became not just about gender liberation, but race, ethnicity, shape, size, age, all the kind of constrictions that have stopped various performers owning those Shakespearean roles. Um, so it became as much about the inclusivity of the cast, um, which started as a practicality, you know, who's in prison? You know, you can't have an all-white cast in prison, you know, so therefore let's have a big representation of the world. Yeah. And it became as much about that um, as it did about gender. So I feel I want to follow that through in a way, but th it's obviously not the only way you can do, um, you can transfer to it. You touched on the, on the issue of, of, of controversy, and Simon, um, your, uh, your Malvolia has recently taken a swing at, a, at a, 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 um, a critic who, in my view, rather unwisely put his head above the parapet on this issue uh, and got it smacked. Um, but why do you think it is? I, mean, I, I, I ask this question, putting it in the context of, of what I know about, for example, opera, where it is entirely accepted that male roles will be played by women and have historically been played by women. Um, for quite a long time, and indeed have been written in some cases, for example, Rosencavalier, where you've got a, a, a young man at the centre of it who is written for a woman to play. So, and nobody seems to find that difficult. Now, why do we seem to find still that it's difficult to accept in the non-lyric theatre? Well, I think it's a, it's a very, I mean, deep question because I think it's to do with um, a long history of representation within the theatre and codes of realism, the suspension of disbelief. And I suppose I, I used to work at the Royal Court before I worked here and of course that's the great, the kitchen sink 
realism was there and you would go into the theater and you would see a family, you would see a reality and you'd be invited to buy into that reality very naturalistically. And I think that um, what we're all trying to do now is to work out what are the boundaries of naturalism and what can classical texts give us, which I guess ultimately would be interesting to apply also to more contemporary texts. And also, I suppose, for writers to start writing plays, as they have already done, which are actively creating characters that we perhaps don't know whether they're male or female, or it doesn't matter whether they are. So I feel that like there are lots of Teutonic shifts happening. I mean, when I directed The Cherry Orchard uh, last year on Broadway, and I was amazed by the number of people who came to see the play, it was a very diverse cast, and said, yes, Simon, but there weren't any black people mm. in Russia in 1907. Mm. Mm. And it's... And it's complicated because that's the tradition that they have experienced that writer in, which is the naturalistic one. And, of course, we all have to take responsibility for how, whether we've contributed to that and also what are we doing about that now mm. to evolve it. Mm. Because I think Harriet's right. We're in a much better place than we were four years ago. There's an awful lot of work still to do. I've got a sort of idealistic <coughs> um, feeling that there's room for all of us, which we, uh, or we should aim to think there's room for all of us, because instead of this jostling for, you know, the, there's, the, there's, I mean, I grew up with the tradition, the sort of looming giants of Laurence Olivier Gilgood, all that, and the, and the particular journalist we were talking about was lamenting or worrying about mm. the, the, the loss of the great male actor. And you're going, well, wait a minute, d you know, that, that, is a, that is a sort of mindset that, uh, it, you know, there's no need for that tradition to be maintained. There's plenty of room for, for all those great actors to still work, and how. And now mm. we're just saying, you know, there are some great performers who you don't normally hear or see, and they're contributing, and there's room for everybody. Mm. It's not a competition for this, you know, number one spot. And, and, uh, and I, th I think, because we've got to stop now, I'm afraid, for the obvious reason that these very people about whom we've been talking are about to appear on the stage behind us, and they need time um, to get ready. But I think that uh, I would just like to say that um, w in all of this, one of the things that it is absolutely essential is very, very high-quality work from directors and performers. And I will say, because they won't, that these three exponents of the various things that we've been talking about are just about as good as it gets. So for those of you who haven't yet seen Twelfth Night, you are in for a treat. And um, for everybody else who has, you know. And so I would like to thank all of you very much indeed, and thank you, the audience. It's been a great discussion.